you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to start today, Matthew 4. Haven't said that for a while, Matthew 4. Uh, find your way to Matthew 4, please. There's a sermon outline maybe you picked up on your way in, or if you open your Three Crosses app, you can find your way there right now and, and get ready to take some notes. We begin a little four-part sermon series today called Transformational Journey, and we make a lot about transformation here at Three Crosses. As you heard just a moment ago, Jordan reminds us that our purpose statement is all about transformation, life transformation through following Christ. And it's always good just now and then to kind of jump back into what we mean when we talk about transformation. And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We're going to talk about how Jesus transforms our lives. And this series comes out of a, an experience I had this summer. I had the opportunity to get away for a little four-day backpacking trip. And I'd never done this before, but I took a solo backpack trip. I uh, went up uh, into the Sierras at a place called Immigrant Wilderness. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. About 8,000 feet and uh, just had a, an amazing time. Uh, enjoyed just some solitude with the Lord. And uh, just, it was great. So throw a few pictures up there, just kind of give you the setting as to where I was. Uh, just first night, stayed at a little lake called Waterhouse Lake. It's about 8,500 feet. And then kind of dipped down into a little valley there, the Stanis South Fork of the Stanislaus River. And just, it was amazing. I've been to this area all my life. And this was the first time in, I don't know, 40 years of going up there that I didn't see one single person the entire four days I was there. I was completely alone. And it was just absolutely amazing. And of course, uh, I had a lot of fun while I was there too. Uh, you know, I did some hiking around. I brought my fishing pole. And, and one day I was fishing on the river and, and the granite is super slippery because th this water during the spring just gushes down this canyon and, and the sand and the rocks, it just it grinds the, gran uh, the granite down to just this fine, shiny kind of surface. And I, was, I caught a fish and I didn't really want to keep the fish because I hadn't really prepared to cook the fish. But, you know, struggling to get it off the line, I, it, he died. So I figured, okay, I've, I got to at least... I got to eat this thing, so I cleaned it, and as I was finally cleaning the fish, I, I got up and I slipped, and, and I went all the way into the water. I just like totally went in, my pole, my tackle box, everything, and so I lost the fish, okay, <laughs> and I come out, and I'm totally drenched. I got my hiking boots, and the next day, I was going to be packing out, so my boots really need to be, you know, dried, and, and I, I packed really light, so I had no other clothing with me. So I, I hate to even tell this story because it's a bad visual right now coming. <laughs> but I, I took off all my clothes, you know. I was secluded. There was nobody there. And, but, you know, when you're out in the wilderness for four days, it's amazing. Two times, at least two times during my four days, I actually heard like what I thought were voices, people. And during that time when I had all my clothes off and I was drying my clothes, I thought I heard people talking. And I, so I was scrambling for my clothes and trying to put, and it was crazy. Nobody showed up. It was great. It was just a little false alarm, you know, just a little <laughs> weird thing. So I had, I had some really kind of fun experiences <laughs> along the way. But, but, you know, the whole thing about it was when I got up there, I, I was saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do these four days? I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. And I had my New Testament, and I had this little... Uh, Moleskin, I brought it with you just to show you. This is what I took on my trip. This little moleskin, I carry these around a lot. It's a nice way to take notes on some things. And so the Lord kind of directed me to read through the Gospels while I was there. And I thought, well, you know, you mean really, Lord, like the, all the Gospels? And yeah, so the first day I read through the Gospel of Matthew. And the next day I read through the Gospel of Mark. And the next day I read through the Gospel of Luke. And the next day I read through the Gospel of John. 
And, you know, that sounds maybe like a lot of content, but really each book, it takes a couple hours to read or so, uh, or maybe a little more. But it was, it, it was just a beautiful experience to kind of read through all the Gospels in that kind of flow. And, and what I got, and then I would just stop, and I'd say, after I read the Gospel of Matthew, like, what impressed me? What were the things that struck me? And I wrote down some things and, and just meditated on that, and then I prayed on those things. And it was just, it was the most amazing experience. I you know, literally, I felt like I was just walking with Jesus for four days straight. And at the end of my time, I honestly, I, I didn't really want to come home. I mean, honestly, it was that dear. It was that beautiful. It was that intimate with Jesus. There were moments of tears. There were moments of great joy. <laughs> so, some fear, you know, along the way. But there, there was just some beautiful moments where I just felt the presence of the Lord so powerfully in my life. And I came back, you know, and I, I was, I literally felt like I had a, a true spiritual transformation. You know, I come home, Carla asked, you know, well, how are you? And I, I'm great, you know, like I'm, what happened to you, you know, like I just felt this transformation that was beautiful. And at the end of it, you know, I, I shared with some of our leaders kind of some of the takeaways and, and they said, Larry, you, you need to preach this stuff. This is, this is preachable stuff. And so you know, I, so I am. I'm going to preach the four weeks of what I experienced on this trip. And I'm hoping that, that you'll experience some of this too. And one of the things that, w- that I'm going to challenge you to do over the next four weeks is to read through all the Gospels. I'm going to give you a, f- a four-Gospel reading challenge over the next four weeks. And I'm going to ask you to just to dump in with the, on your way out today. You're going to get a little uh, reading challenge. It marks, do you know that between tomorrow and Thanksgiving, there are 24 days? That's all there is till Thanksgiving. And in those 24 days, I'm going to challenge you to read through all the Gospels. And you, that may seem super daunting to you. It works out to about four, three or four chapters a day. And then just simply write down a couple things, observations. There's a little instruction on here. Because I want, I want to just hopefully that all of us will experience elements of the kind of thing, even if we just had a little bit of what I experienced over those four days on the trip that I took, it would be life-changing for us to just saturate ourselves in the Gospels. And so that's what this series is about. If you already have a reading plan through the Bible, you're going through the Bible in a year, you've got a, a, a robust reading plan, I'm, I'm not expecting you to do extra homework and, oh, you know, you're going to get all like, oh, I can't do this. And I, I don't want you to look at this legalistically or any kind of way like that. But if you've never gone through the Gospels in a concentrated way, if you've never just saturated yourself with what Jesus is about and what he's calling us to, I want to challenge you to do this. I just want to encourage you. There was something that happened in my heart. I, had, I admit, I had never done this where I just camped out in the Gospels for four days, read through all the Gospels, and it was a profound impact on my life. And this is, this is what seemed newly unmistakable, unforgettable, unavoidable when following Jesus in the Gospels. And this is the outline of the whole series. Listen up. Uh, First of all, I I saw the radical nature of the discipleship that Jesus calls us into, radical discipleship. I also experienced what I see, the the amazing love of Jesus. I also saw the, uh, the miraculous power of Jesus. And I was also impressed by the missional focus of Jesus. Those are four big takeaways, and there was a lot more under that. But So the next few weeks what we're going to talk about is the, the radical discipleship of Jesus, the amazing love of Jesus, that's next week, then the next week after that the miraculous power of Jesus, and then the missional focus of Jesus. And really it's going to be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We love Jesus. We believe he transforms our lives, and we just want to camp in the place where we read in Scripture so much about who he is so that we can all be transformed in his presence. Amen? 
And maybe just in four weeks from now when we enter into the holidays and Advent, we'll just be a little bit more tuned to what God wants to show us and do in our lives. And, and honestly, like I said, I really felt like God gave me that trip for me and me really alone, but my leaders talked me into this series, so if you don't like the series, you can blame them. Don't blame me. Okay, so I want to talk first about this radical nature of discipleship and what Jesus calls us to. You know what I was so struck by, and I wrote it down on several pages in this little moleskin notebook. I was, I was struck by the fact that Jesus never called anyone to follow him in an easy way. It was never easy to follow Jesus. He never made it sound like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Just come on. It's a party. Let's go. That's not the way Jesus approached people. Jesus demanded incredible things out of people. When he invites us into a discipleship relationship, when he invites us into this thing we call following him, this journey of transformation, it's not necessarily easy. It's phenomenally challenging to all of our lives. And that struck me. It struck me how, how so often in modern evangelicalism we've sort of dumbed down the, the demand of the gospel in our lives. And so I'm just going to just share it out with you this morning. We're going to bump around in a lot of scripture. And, and here's, there's three things I see about the radical discipleship of Jesus. And the first is in his invitation, purely. If you're taking notes, I want you to see that Jesus' invitation is radical. And, and we're going to start here in Matthew 4 uh, in just a second. But when we talk about his invitation, we're, we're, we're thinking about not accommodation. We're talking about his invitation into uh, what it means to live our life the way he calls us to. And, and the, the reason why I say that his invitation is radical is there's four reasons why that I saw as I went through the Gospels, and I want to share them with you. First of all, it's radical because it demands that we leave everything to follow him. Now, in Matthew 4, where we're starting here, I want you to see verse 17, actually, is where we're going to start. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to circle, if you have your own Bibles there, just circle the word repent there, because that's, that's the, the entryway to leaving everything. I mean, repentance means to leave behind your old life, leave behind your past, leave behind the stuff that you kind of held on to or were security blankets to you or whatever it else. When Jesus invites us in a relationship, you've got to leave some things behind. And this is, this is the radical nature of discipleship. We leave some things behind. We, in fact, we leave really everything behind. Look at, as we read down through this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, he saw Two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And I want you again, if you're taking your, if you have your own Bible there, I want you just to circle those words, they left their nets. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I'm struck all through the Gospels, and I just point this out, just as a dropping in place, is that all of this, uh, this invitation into following Jesus begins with leaving stuff behind. You know, when you, go, when you fly somewhere, you've got to leave some stuff behind, right? You go to the airport and people, you ever see those bends where you're going through the final checkpoints, you know, to get on the plane? And people forget all this kind of stuff. You see these bends full of stuff, you know, the scissors and, you know, things that are sharp pointed. You go, how did people even bring that stuff in the airport? And then you've got, you know, bottles of water and things that are just large and, and 
that you're not going to be able to take on the plane. The stuff that you've got to leave behind. And so often in the Christian life, I think we get this idea that Jesus wants us to come along and just bring all the stuff, all the junk, all the stuff that we, we had before we followed him. Jesus makes it very clear that if we're going to follow him, we've got to leave some stuff behind. I was a part of the debrief out of the Las Vegas shooting. Some of our firefighters from Alameda County were actually in the crowd when that thing happened down there. Crazy experience. And I heard stories that I just, it's hard to even talk about. But the one image that I have in my mind that struck me was uh, these guys as they worked triage and kind of worked with the injured and the victims and all that. As they, as they surveyed the area, as they were looking for more victims during the end of the night there, they said it was so incredible. Look at this massive expanse where this concert was where thousands of people were. And now now there wasn't a soul there except the injured, those that had died, and people were trying to help those people. But as you looked across that entire area, all you saw were purses and backpacks and phones and flip-flops and shoes and hats and clothing items. And just like, it was like everybody couldn't get out of there fast enough, and they left everything behind. They knew that their physical safety required that they just drop it all and go. And I thought to myself how in the Christian life, this is really the, the wake of our journey with Christ as we had to look back and see all the stuff we, we drop. Now, we, we drop a lot of stuff when we come to faith. We realize there's sin in our life that we need to repent of and, and move away from. And, and so we leave that. But then as we go along in our Christian life, we realize, ah, this doesn't fit anymore. This isn't right. This doesn't match up with what it means to be a Christ follower. And so we leave this stuff behind. In Matthew 13... In 44, Jesus compared the kingdom to a treasure found in a field. He, if found, you sell all that you have in order to buy that field. And, and you not only leave everything, Jesus says, we, we sell everything that this field, this treasure might be ours. The value of the invitation is the treasure of, of, of what it means for us to really follow Jesus and to know that we really have found what we've been looking for all of our lives. And th- this just struck me as I went through the Gospels. His Im- the, dis- the, the realm of discipleship starts with an invitation that is radical. And the invitation is radical because it calls us to leave it all behind. Secondly, the, it's radical because its entrance is so narrow that very few find it. Its entrance is so narrow that very few find it. You know, Matthew 7 uh, and, and you can flip around and find these places because we're not going to show a lot on scripture uh, on the screens this morning. I hope that they're there in your notes if you want to jot these things down. I'm going to read some scriptures. But, you know, Jesus said some radical things about following him when he said things like this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The distractions that drown out uh, the beautiful and clarifying life-giving gospel are all around us. There's so many distractions. There's materialism and busyness and pleasure. And even religion is a distraction to a lot of people. And in fact, when you think about this picture of the, the road being so narrow that few find it, you look at how religion is poised. And I talk to people every week who assume that all the religions of the world are basically saying the same thing. And we've all heard this, haven't we not? You know, people say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what religion you follow because they all teach good things and they're all, you know, they're all pointing people toward a better life and a more moral life and all that. And, and really it's, when Jesus invited people to follow him, he wasn't saying that, you know, everything works and everything is fine and you can just choose and pick and just come. Like, 
it's just this giant wheel and all the spokes of the religion and the hub is God and we all find God through different ways and we all come. That's not what Jesus said. Read the Gospels and he says, he says that the, the way is so narrow. Very few people find this. It's not like this giant just pick as you want to do and it really struck me as I wrote, read through the Gospels. I thought, wow, Jesus made it so clear to people that it's, it's not something that we just choose on our own to, and determine on our own what it's going to look like. Every, Christianity according to Larry, Christianity according to John, Christianity according to Susan, it's Christianity according to Jesus. And if we're following Jesus of the Bible, then we see that his invitation is radical because he calls us to leave stuff behind, and it's radical because it's narrow from the get-go. It starts out narrow, and it continues narrow all the way through. Number three, it's radical because it demands we die to ourselves. We demand, it demands that we die to ourselves. Our culture is obsessed with self-improvement. Have you noticed that? Just go into a bookstore and go to the self-improvement section. There's so many books on self-improvement. And it's so opposite of what Jesus said. I was struck by what he said, for example, in Mark 8.34, where he says, "Deny If anyone come after, him, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Listen, Jesus wasn't only unconcerned about our self-preservation. He was emphatic about completely destroying it. When he invites us to follow him, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a better life. I want the life that you're living right now to come down so that a new life can be built. And that's what the invitation of Jesus is about. We enter in, we bring nothing. Jesus invites us. He says, come, believe your dreams, your passions, your gifts, your contribution, and your very life at the door, or else you can be of no use to me. This is the message of Jesus. And I just kind of wonder sometimes when I hear uh, people talk, people that are professing believers, and sometimes I hear Christian pastors preach, and, and I don't want to just throw pastors under the bus because I think sometimes, if I'm, real, if, I, if I'm honest, I have to recognize that sometimes I send a message that sounds something like, you know, if you really want the greatest life you could possibly have for yourself, you need Jesus. And there's, there's elements of truth in that. There's a, there's a picture of truth in that because there is no way to experience the life that you were created for until you come to Christ. But the Christian life is not about self-preservation. It's not about, you know, protecting your interests. And God is there for you to sort of make you get all the things that you ever wanted in your life. That's not the Christian message. That's not the gospel. And I hear people teach that and kind of present that. Uh, Jesus called his disciples ultimately to abandon themselves. I I think of... uh, David Platt, he has a book called Radical, and I was reminded of that when I was doing this preparation. I thought, I'm going to pull that book off my shelf and look at it, and I love what he writes on one page. He says, ultimately, Jesus was calling his followers to abandon themselves. They were leaving certainty for uncertainty, safety for danger, self-preservation for self-denunciation. In a world that prizes promoting oneself, they were following a teacher who told them to crucify themselves. And history tells us the result. Almost all of them would lose their lives because they responded to his invitation. So think about what you look at your Christianity today, the way that you follow Jesus. And are you living a life that says, you know, not my will, not, not my plan, but Jesus, your plan, your will for my life? Think of the German theologian uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I think... You know, I, I think we cut this pretty straight around here. 
but it, it's probably worth repeating. In fact, one of the reasons why I'm excited about doing this little series for us is I, I'm hoping to clean up a little bit of the mess that sometimes I discover in our own church with people who think that following Jesus is about getting all your dreams come true, and Jesus is there to kind of help you get the things that you want in life. And that's not the message of the gospel. We die to ourselves. We say no more of ourselves, only Jesus. You say, Larry, do you live that out every day? Well, you know, honestly, I try, but I fail miserably. I'm thankful that it's not based on my success in doing that, amen. It's based on Jesus' perfection, but I have to die to myself, and I have to choose a path of of dying to myself every single day. You know, and to be honest, I'm kind of tired of dying to myself, aren't you? I mean, life, life is hard. It's hard enough as it is. And, and then we're, every day we're like having to die to ourselves. We want this thing, but we go, ah, no, Jesus would have us do this. So we make sacrifices and we give and we share and we love and we surrender and we forgive and we do all those things because we know that that's the life that Jesus has called us to. It's not only that. And here's the last thing that just it strikes me. that It's radical because he calls us to leave everything. It's a small entryway. It's, it's to deny ourselves daily. And it's also radical. His invitation is radical because it actually sounds like most of us wouldn't be allowed to follow Jesus if we wanted to. I was struck when I read through the Gospels how many times it, these conversations happen with Jesus like this. There's an account of these people that walk up to Jesus. One guy says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Remember? Matthew 8, 18 through 22, Luke 9, 57 through 62. And, and Jesus says, well, you know, I don't think so. You might become homeless. You have no certainty where your next meal is coming from. I, I, don't, think, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. You know, someone else comes up. I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me go bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Whoa. I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, hey, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, so like maybe, maybe the strategy ought to be we ought to tell people, hey, you want to know Jesus? Forget it. You can't follow Jesus. No. The answer is no. You know, maybe that should be a, like a whole new movement in our evangelism, you know. <laughs> Have a big meeting, tell people about Jesus and say, you can't follow him, you can't do it. You know, was Jesus just using reverse psychology, you know, tell the people they can't so then they'll want it more? No. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, most of us are so flippant in what we think it means to follow Jesus. He's wanting to cut it clear. He's saying, look, this is, an, this is a radical invitation. And here I am. I'm 60 years old. I've walked with Christ since I was a little boy. And I keep discovering how unclear I am about what it means <laughs> to follow Jesus. Because I keep finding my own life kind of cropping up and saying, do it your way, Larry. It'll be better. You'll like it better. And then I'm reminded as I read the Gospels, and if I get big doses like I did on that little trip, it was like the Spirit of God just bringing great conviction to my heart saying, Larry, are you hearing this? I mean, like, are you really a follower of me, or is it just, is it Jesus according to Larry, or is it Jesus according to the Scriptures? I wonder how many of us would really follow Jesus if we really knew what it meant to follow him. (laughs) You know, this very young, healthy hip young leader comes to Jesus on one occasion, Matthew 19, 22, and he says, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, okay, first sell all your possessions and then come follow me. And the Bible says the young man went away sad. What do we make of these kinds of interactions? 
what we're reminded from the scriptures is that Jesus is not letting anyone off the hook. He's not giving anyone sort of a free pass to say, yeah, you can follow me and have your life just the way you want it anyway. He's saying, no, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Are you really wanting to follow Jesus? And sometimes I wonder about that. I wonder in modern evangelicalism, if we're really telling the message that Jesus told the people, and it's so easy, it's so easy. I'm preaching to myself here, but on those four little days, I thought of different ways in my own life where I just look at the gospel as more accommodating than I do it as, as a radical invitation that Jesus calls us into that every day demands us to really scrutinize and look at our lives and say, are we really sincere in this thing we call our Christian faith? And, and for me, I'm just telling for me, it's a daily battle, daily battle, daily battle. And if you're not in a daily battle, if you're not feeling like you come out of every day with kind of a fight, then I don't think you really hear what Jesus is saying. Now that's not to say that, you know, the Christian life is this morbid experience and we're just always slaving away. and it's just, That's not it either. But I think we, we tend to err, in our culture, we tend to err on the side of, you know, look, you can have Jesus and you can have the life that you always wanted anyway. Just safely tuck him away in some area of your life where you can do the things you want to do and he'll bless you, he'll come alongside. You can bring him along, certainly. But that's really not the gospel, is it? It's Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Where is it that needs stricter obedience in my life for you? What does it mean to to really walk the, the walk that you call me to. His, his invitation is radical, and that's the entryway into discipleship. His very invite is as radical as it gets. Number two, Jesus' expectation is radical. What does Jesus expect of those who actually do accept his invitation and begin following him? Uh, someone has said, Everyone loves Jesus until they find out what he asks of them. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like the sayings of Jesus become somewhat optional to us. A lot of leeway, a lot of reinterpretation you can make on things. So let me just sum up quickly. This won't take long. But uh, first, of, and first, as I think about this and the observations I made going through the Gospels, first of all, his expectation for us in one sense is easily summarized. Easily summarized. I saw this in all of the Gospels. I'm going to point to Matthew 22, 37. It's a beautiful place where this teacher comes to Jesus and says, you know, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, there's no question what the greatest commandment is. It's to love God and love others with everything in our being. Matthew 22, 37 through 30, uh, 39. I mean, these two commands, Jesus said, sum up it all, everything. Love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that amazing that Jesus summed up what he expects, what it means to follow him in those two ways? You say, man, that's so easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> to love God with everything in our being and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, boy, that's just a test every day, isn't it? To love God, to give him our best every day, not to wait around to the end of the day to see if you've got any time left over just to throw up a little prayer and say, thank you, Jesus. Give him the best of your day. Give him the best of your finances. Give him the best of your service. Give him the best of the arc of your life. Give him the best of everything. Because to follow Jesus means to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
The person that cuts in line when you're driving the car. The person that got the parking spot before you did. The person that gets out of the, you know, in the line at the store. The person that is, is that, that, the neighbor that you can't get. Last night, my neighbors had their TV on all night long. You know, aren't you, I'm so, I can't wait for it to get cold enough to close windows in our house. Because our neighbor last night just had their, they were listening to some crazy movie, horror movie, something, I don't know. It was giving me nightmares all last night. And I'm thinking, I tell my wife this morning, I'm going to drop a note off in their door. And I'm driving up here and go, yeah, that'd be great. Love your neighbor. Hey, neighbor, I hate what you're doing with your TV. Would you just, you know. I mean, I mean, it comes down to simple stuff like that. Would you rather have a neighbor that you love and has somehow an influence for the gospel? Or are you just always going to be telling them what they need to do to be a better neighbor? You know, we, we, we have people all around us that see the way we live. They watch us. And, you know, just one conversation, one word, one sort of, you know, like, you know, kind of attitude. And we just can spoil years of cultivating people for the gospel. Because Jesus said, if, if you want to sum it up, love God with everything in your heart and love your neighbor like you love yourself. When was the last time you were hungry and you needed something to eat? You would feed somebody because you know what it's like to be hungry. When was the last time you didn't have clothes to wear <laughs> uh, and you needed clothes? You know, and you would want to treat somebody else that doesn't have clothes that you have. When was the last time you didn't have a house to live in? And you realize the blessing that you have, what it means to have a house to live in. And I think, I mean, this really gets down to the you know, nitty-gritty of our lives. But we talk about walking after God and loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Loving our neighbors ourselves. And we walk by people every day. We walk by them. We, we don't care about them. We just say they're in my way. They're an inconvenience. So you, thought, you talk about an easy summary, it's, it's easily stated, but living it out, wow, it's crazy. His expectation for us in one sense is really simple and summarized easily, but there's, there's this expectation for us in another sense that's far-reaching and very detailed. You know, as I went through the Gospels, it struck me, and a lot of this comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus expects us to pursue a lifestyle of righteousness, holiness. Do you believe that? Matthew 5.20, your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. They were sticklers. They, they followed the law right down to the letter. And Jesus said, you want to go to heaven? You need, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, of course, we know we're failures in that. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the, the, the new covenant. That's why we need to know his perfection in our lives. But that doesn't take us off the hook from wanting to live as righteously and holy as we can. Jesus expects us to be sexually pure. Matthew 5.27. He said, if you even look upon a woman with lust, it's as if you had adultery with her. Wow. I mean, you talk about the, the senseless ways we treat each other and the way we look at our sexual purity. Jesus expects us to be sexually pure. Jesus expects us to be faithful in our marriages. Jesus said, unless, unless there's been marital unfaithfulness, you should not divorce. He expects us to, to hang in there with marriages that have come together under God. And he's told us to, to not walk out of marriages. He's told us to be faithful to our spouses. Jesus expects us to not seek revenge for those who have wronged us, Matthew 5.39. Jesus expects us to love our enemies, Matthew 5.43. Jesus expects us to serve others in humility, Mark 10.45. Jesus expects us to pray faithfully for workers in the harvest for the gospel. Um, Mark, uh, Matthew 9.38, Jesus expects us to forgive those who sin against us, Luke 17.3. Jesus expects us to meet the needs of others, 
to feed the hungry, to drink, to provide drink for the thirsty, to hospitality to the stranger, clothes for those without, healing of the sick, visitation of those in prison. You read through the Gospels and you realize there's this moral expectation that is huge and that he expects us. In fact, I was really struck too, Jesus expects us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning where we live. And, I, and everything that I just mentioned there, I think a lot of Christians say, ah, optional, optional, optional. In modern evangelicalism, we have sort of this maverick mentality that says basically this, I can do what I want, Jesus knows my heart. In Luke 6.46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I, do what I say? Someone has said, you call me master and obey me not. You call me light and you see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and see me, seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Jesus expects some huge things. In our lives. Now listen, very careful. If, you're, if you've been drifting, I want you to listen. If you're listening, say amen. amen. This is important because this is the difference between what Jesus expects because we belong to him, not so that we can belong to him. Are you clear on that? You see, there are a lot of people. If, if, you, if you see that Jesus expects us to live because we belong to him, that's relationship. If you do these things because you expect Jesus wants us to do these things so that we can belong to him, that's religion. And you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to make, you know, everything you need to do match up with what Jesus called you to do, and you're not going to be able to do it, and you're going to fail miserably because you didn't just trust in the one who could pay for your sins and to give you eternal life. You'll spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell. And that's because religion, religion will be the biggest reason why people go to hell. Religion will be. But Jesus says, if you're in a relationship, you do all these things because you love me. That's why he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? This is a message to the evangelical church of today. Why do you call me Lord, and you keep playing games? I meet people all the time who essentially say, oh, I'm a Christian too, but I think it's okay to maintain my pursuit of whatever. So Christian, I'm a Christian too, but I can leave this, I can keep this, I can do these things. It doesn't really matter. God knows my heart. I can just follow my own ways. Listen, there's so much grace and love and forgiveness by God, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. I am so struck by the amazing love of Jesus. But you first got to understand, and it's his love that draws us to this place where we say, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. But we've got to realize to be invited in, Jesus expects us to live it out. When you go through the Gospels, you observe the discipleship of Jesus is radical. That means his invitation is radical, his expectation is radical, finally, quickly, his estimation is radical. What I mean by this is what he estimates will come from the life of the person who knows him. If you're taking notes, a couple things. His estimation is radical in the sense that he promises hardship and suffering for all who follow him. <laughs> oh, this is great. Oh, you think, what do I get? What do I get, Jesus? What do I get for following you? Suffering and hardship. Wow, where do I sign up? That sounds great. 
Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as, as its own. As it, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets that were before you. In the warning signs of the end of the age, Jesus said in Matthew 10 and Luke 21, 12 through 16, he said, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governor, all on account of my name. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. Who wants to start following me? You know, to be honest, I I think we just have to be a little more clear on this with people. I was sitting with a young man, 22 years of age, out here on our our cafe a couple weeks ago and just talking to, he's read the Gospel of John and we had a beautiful, delightful conversation together and and, you know, he was just leaning into everything and walked through the gospel, walked through the gospel with him. And I said, you know, hey, are you, are you re- are, today are you ready to trust in Christ? I said, wait a minute, before you answer that, <laughs> I said, I want you to understand to follow Christ may mean that you lose all kinds of stuff in your life. You, you may become friendless, homeless. You know, I just, I think it was right about the time I'd come back from my trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him all this stuff and he goes, man, I'm so glad you said that because so many people talk to me about following Jesus and it just sounds like it's a cakewalk. This sounds like it's, I thought, wow, you know, I, I think sometimes we forget that if we just cut it clear with people, they get it. Now, he didn't trust in Christ. He goes, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready yet to follow Jesus, but I want to keep reading. So he's, he's, he read the Gospel of John. He's, he's now in the book of Acts, and we're having conversations, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I'm excited about it, though, because just maybe he's going to understand that to follow Jesus means, yes, the estimation is radical because he promises hardship and suffering, but watch this. His estimation is radical in, in the other sense that he promises eternal riches and glory for those who do follow him. Eternal riches and glory. Starting with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, the mourn, those who are meek, hungry, and thirsty, and promise because the kingdom is yours. Comfort will be yours. The inheritance of the kingdom will be yours. Filled with righteousness is given. What is done in secret, such as prayer and fasting and giving to the poor, Jesus promises that one day the Father will see all those things and in secret will reward you. To the rich young ruler who went away sad, Jesus, after telling the young man, he said, you will have treasure in heaven if you sell all your possessions and follow me. You know, we forget the treasure side. We forget the promise side. We forget the eternal life side. Yeah, it's radical because there's, there's suffering in the making, but it's also radical and beautiful because there's beauty and treasure and, and glory in the making. You know, I was just struck the last couple of weeks as a guy that grabbed me in the, in the lobby out here. What time we got? Oh, we got to wrap up. Guy in the lobby out here, and he, and he says, you got to pray for my dad. He's, he's elder, you know, I don't know, this man was about my age, and he said his father, um, man, he was a little younger than me actually, but everybody's younger than me. Okay, so anyway, we were talking there, and he says, uh, my dad's got cancer, but he doesn't know Christ. He speaks Cantonese, and I, I'm hoping a pastor can come talk to him because for, with me, it's just hard. I need someone to help. I said, well, look, wow, you know, he's got cancer. He needs the gospel. I said, I'll help you. I said, I've, I know some people that could speak Cantonese. I'll bring them with me. We can do some translation, but it would be better if you know a pastor that could speak that Cantonese. 
And so he goes, okay, I know a pastor. So I said, would you call him? If he can't come, I'm going to come. I'm going to bring someone with me. We're going to talk to this guy because he needs the gospel. He's up in age. He's got cancer. He needs Christ. And so I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to pray for your father every day. And so he writes me this last week a little email. And he says, guess what? My dad's going to meet with the pastor tomorrow, and I'm just really praying. Would you pray? I say, I've been praying every day. We're going to continue to pray. Next day he writes me, and he says, my dad accepted Christ. He's so excited. And he's just excited. He goes, now, we still pray that God will heal his cancer, but if he doesn't, we know where he's going. Last week, we celebrated in second service a woman named Ruth. She sits right down here. She turned 99 last Monday. We sang happy birthday to her, and we had a lot of fun. And her daughter was sitting there, and she reminded me afterwards, we were all out of time like we are today, and she said, she said, you know, my mom at 55 said, it's too late for me to follow Christ. 55, she said, it's too late for me to follow Christ. But guess what? My mom at 85 gave her heart to Christ. And at 99, she's sitting down here, and she's alive with the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just thinking about who's here this morning. I don't know who's here. Young, old, Jesus is for you. Jesus is offering his life. It's a radical thing he's offering you, but he's offering you. And I wonder how many of you today, I wonder if there's anyone here today that needs a, a relationship with Christ. He died for you. He rose again from the grave. He invites you into this relationship with him, and it's available right now. But you know what it's going to cost you. 